Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. Today is Tuesday, March 30th, and this is episode 87. And boy, do we have a great show for you folks today. First, if you're not, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also check us out on YouTube. But let's get into the real meat of the issue here, folks. Big episode, big episode today. We got uh, Stephen Young and Andrew Radcliffe, Big Dog, joining the program to preview the MLB season, which starts this week. We take a look at the over-unders of each team, division odds, and some other prop bets. You're going to want to listen for that. And then stay tuned for later in the show. I will be joined by Peter Gonzalez to break down episode two of the Falcon and Winter Soldier on Disney+. Plus. So spoiler alert, if you have not seen episode two of that show yet, you're going to want to start, uh, pause it before you do, but that's about halfway through the pot. So let's get into it. Welcome to the Pineapple Couch with B-Rob. This is episode 87, where we are going to be breaking down the MLB season that is starting in about 24 hours. Is that right? That is right. Wow. And the two voices you hear are going to be my wingmen, or they're actually the the captains. I'm just kind of the co-pilot here. As we go through this MLB season, you got Big Dog per usual. Big Dog, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you, B-Rob? I am doing well, and then it's about damn time. Our number one caller, the man, the myth, the legend, Stephen Young, here to do some baseball. Stephen, how are you? Doing great. Good to see that Josh is not on the Zoom call, so I'm even better. Yep. <laughs> I love it. The rivalry already going. Um, so how we want to do this, guys, we're going to just go through. This is obviously a broad coverage of what to expect this MLB season, but what we'll start with is we'll just go through the over-unders for each team, go through the divisions that way, as well as looking at the odds to win divisions. After that, we'll take a look at some MLB or some Cy Young and MVP odds, as well as some home run stuff. We'll talk about some predictions and then give some stuff that we're looking forward to this MLB season. So... Let's get into it. Let's start with the NL West. You got the defending World Series champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. I would put the asterisk next to that because I don't think it was a full 162-game season. It's my uh, unbiased opinion. Um, the the over-under on wins for this Dodgers team is they are the overwhelming favorite heading into the season. They are 101 and a half over under wins with a uh, minus 250 to win the the NL West. A little disrespect to Andrews Padres. Um, we'll start with this big dog. Scare out of the way. Barring Let's injury, get... is they do the Dodgers have a shot at this Dude, going? I over? think it's actually impossible for the Dodgers to miss the playoffs. They could have their team playing crash and they could still make the playoffs. They have. Eight pitchers. I mean, when you go to Tony Gonsolin's, Dustin Mays, Julio Urias of the world, and those are your six, seven, five guys fighting for that fast last spot, that is an ace on about 17 teams. Like the Angels, he would easily be their ace. Tigers for Stevens, he would be your ace. Okay. It's ridiculous, the depth. I've never seen pitching depth like this. I love Dustin May, and Dustin Mays, like, he might get 80 innings this year. And it's just it's it does not make sense to me at all. Mm-hmm. The they have Mookie Betts now. The Cody Bellinger, Gavin Lux is a top prospect. So if mm-hmm. the last couple top prospects have been Tatis, Acuna. I mean, if yeah. Gavin Lux is anything like that, and you add that on top, 
of this team last year. If Corey Seager does anything he did in that World Series, mm-hmm. his team, it's joke. It's an actual joke. They have an all-star at every single position. Yeah, and to you, Stephen, uh, what do you make of the whole Trevor Bauer signing with the Dodgers this offseason? That was obviously a big deal. He did get the Cy Young last year, but I believe his ERA, his career is what, around in between like 3, 6, and 4? He's like right? a 3, 7, yeah. His okay. stuff's unreal. His spin rate's stupid. Uh, the person, Trevor Bauer himself, is just a straight asshole. So he fits in the Dodgers <laughs> pretty well. But, I mean, if he's your fourth starter in a rotation and this guy is a Cy Young Award winner, it's kind of stupid. Like, big dog yeah. Jesus. Because they have... Wait, so they go Bauer, Kershaw, no, They're going to start with Walker Kershaw. Or, or Bueller, excuse me. So, like, they're going to have their opening day Kershaw. I mean, it literally does not matter who's open. Like, they don't need a set rotation because it's all so close. But they're going to go Kershaw, probably Bauer, who's going to be a future Cy Young winner. So then you're going to have um, or Bueller, Bueller, excuse Bauer, me. Yeah. Say Bueller will be the future Cy Young winner. Bauer. David Price, is just, he's cool with being, like, the super reliever this year. And he has a Cy Young in his back pocket, so he's just going to throw two or three innings here and there. And he's good at that because he did that with the Rays in 2008 in the World Series. And and he did it with the Red Sox. He knows Mm -hmm. how to, like, it's perfect. I hate them. I hope they (laughs) choke. The only, like, they're literally the only team you could say, like, if we don't win the World Series, that was a bad year. And that's, I don't even think it's close. They're all in. They're all in. I mean, it's they're a mountain ahead of everyone right now. So. Mm-hmm. And this is a question. The Dodgers seem very much all in, like we see some of these basketball and football teams go, where the idea of going all in kind of fucks you over long term. If you think about a team like the Rams, kind of when they went all in two years ago, yes, they're still somewhat still alive. But even in the NBA, when you look what happened to the Cleveland Cavaliers post LeBron and even the Warriors when they're, these contracts are getting up, are the Dodgers also set for the future or is this all going to come crashing down in two years because of the cap? Or are they just going to do this forever? They are set up for another... They're an empire. They are the Death Star. We just got to episode four. They have a long... <laughs> 20, you know, 15 year more reign right here. I mean, it's unbelievable what they created. They're the model organization, just like how the Warriors were. Everyone's trying to copy them. Same thing with the Astros before they got caught cheating a couple years ago. Everyone's like, let's build like the Astros and the Cubs a couple years ago. But they're set up so well because they only have Mookie Betts signed. I mean, they have the highest payroll, but so many people are coming off the books and within the next couple of years, then by then you sign Bellinger, then you sign the Buellers of the world and it just kind of repeats. So they, mm-hmm. yeah. well, fuck. they are sucks. a couple steps ahead <laughs> of the game right so, now. So over under 101.5, what are you guys thinking for final? I'm going over. Oh, that makes me sad. I, I hate to say that. I'll take the same. over as well. Big dog? Yeah, I'm going over too. I mean, this, what did they go, 42 and 17 or 18 last year? And then they just walked through the playoffs for the most part. Yeah. They're, then, they play the West because they're just staying in the NL yeah. West again. So it's, they'll beat up the Rockies. Uh, are they playing the AL West too? Is that yeah. like different too? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's. So they're going to destroy the Angels again. They're going <laughs> to beat up on the Rangers, the Mariners. That's. Yep. Yeah. Easy wins. All right. Well, then let's bounce to our next team in the NL West. Uh, over under on their wins is 94.5. Odds to win the division plus 200. It is Andrew's San Diego Padres, the dads. 
Big dog. Fatigue <laughs> signs for 14-340, correct? That's Around correct. there. Um, a lot of optimism in Slam Diego. Still, though, plus 200 to win this division because they are behind the Dodgers, the Death Star, like we mentioned. Um, how are you feeling going into this season, Big Dog? And then after Big Dog, I want to hear Steven's uh, take on what he expects out of the Padres this year. I mean, this is the most exciting Padre team I've ever seen and the best team they'll probably I've ever seen. Maybe the best Padre team ever. Um, and it already, I already feel defeated, to be honest. Like I just feel like no matter what this team is going to do, they're always going to be trailing by six games mm-hmm. against the Dodgers. And it's... I wonder if like if they won the division, I think that would be more impressive than winning the World Series, in my opinion, because if they overthrew the Dodgers and I just I wish Mike Clevenger would be healthy to add to this. I'd feel better that I mean the Padres would be very competitive. People have them ranked like the second or third best team in baseball. I think it's a little high, I'd still give it to the Braves because the Braves have actually done it. To be honest, the Padres last year were 15 and 17 until Tatis hit that grand slam. And then, oh my God, this young chosen one and all that. And it was really cool, but they had three good weeks of baseball. How many teams have three good weeks of baseball in six the months? The Giants almost made a run. The Giants. <laughs> good run. And it's just, I mean, the, this team has the talent. They made a bunch of moves. So they brought in Darvish. They brought in Snell to add to the pitching. And they can counter... Because so many people had career years offensively for them last year. I just, I mean, as a San Diego fan, as I have my Charger jacket on right now, I need to see it for six months to believe it. Mm-hmm. So they're at, what is it, 94 and a half? Yeah. Oof. I'm taking the under. I, I see them a nice 92-91 win team. Steven? Yeah. I, last year, I mean, their offense was unreal towards the end of the year, and then their biggest concern was pitching and they got Blake Snell. Great, great ad. Uh, who else did they add? You got Darvish from the Cubs. Yeah, you Darvish. I mean, injury concerns there, but potential, great. And then uh, they got a pitcher from the Pirates, like Musgrove. Musgrove, exactly. Who has good stuff, so we'll see. But they had de- definitely addressed their need of pitching, so I think that's a good start. Uh, obviously, Andrew said we just got to see it for a full six months, but the pe- potential's there. Mm-hmm. I just wish they weren't in the same freaking division as the Dodgers. What yeah. do you? How do you feel about the Tatis contract, Stephen? Because they're like, because we know last week. I mean, so the the one good thing is because now you have like Lindor, you have Chris, everyone who has a contract year now, they can just point. It's like, dude, this guy in San Diego got this contract for playing 140 yeah. games. I've done it for five years. Hmm. How do they not Pain ask me. for more money? And then, yeah. like, last week, like, Tatis got hurt, kind of. And it's already like, Jesus, it's been 21 days since you signed that contract. Yeah, and he has 10 years of 314 mil. So, and it's, it, Jesus. I don't know. Those, con- like, I love Tatis, but those contracts are just so early for that. Like, I mean, it was very so early. Because you have they, pools they had four years. For 10 years. I hate to bring that up, but pool, the 10 year deal for pools. He's still like, chugging along. Look this still chugging along. I know. Yeah, and it is. Correct me if I'm wrong. It's pretty rare to see this type of contract to someone so young. I mean, obviously, not just the hundred games, but like, how old is Tatis? Twenty two. Twenty two. We are all older than him. So I wanted them to do like, like I appreciated that they did like the Acuna thing to lock him up. But it's like Acuna got nine one hundred. Like that's a deal. Yeah. Like. Uh Yeah. 
Yeah, well, maybe that goodwill will help them in the future. Um, I am looking at that as an under. I think it'll be close. It is tough just when you have to play the Dodgers, and they are a young team, so there might be some ups and downs. I do see the Padres making the playoffs, though. I, I do think that it's there. Um, but again, there's not there is pressure on them to do that because of the hype. But it is just the beginning of this window, I would argue. So. We'll see. Um, let's go to the third team in the NOS, my San Francisco Giants. Uh, Over-under wins is 75.5, plus 4,000 to win the division. Um, here's what I will say. I did not like Gabe Kapler at all when they first hired him. He did – he, like, he like kind of disrespected Bumgarner in a way. Not too bad. But then you saw how Bumgarner looked last year, so you kind of have to say, oh, maybe he was right about that. Um, I think last year's Giants, he got them to really overperform. To like play way better than they are. I think Andrew, you and me were talking about this once. Like that team really outdid themselves. I don't think that they are a playoff threat this year at all. But the one thing when I'm looking at this over under, I would not be shocked if they could get to like 77, 78. It just because he can maybe get a little more out of them than we expect um, that you guys did mention that they're playing the AL West this year. So maybe get some easy wins against teams like the Rangers Mariners, and then obviously the Rockies in their own division. But as I say that they could, I mean, what they could win like fucking 58 games. I don't know. So I'm from what I saw last year, maybe over, but it's, I don't know. I don't expect too much. I just want to see Yastrzemski have another good year. Uh, Steven, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, Yastrzemski is a stud. But, yeah, they definitely overperformed last year. Like, I remember watching a couple games, and, like, when they're making that run, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah. Yastrzemski just hitting leadoff bombs. I'm like, what the? But we'll see. That was a short season. So, if once this – is it 162 again? or? Yeah, as of now, they might add a playoff game or a playoff team tomorrow. <laughs> get back, we, who knows? Play. Uh, no, we'll see it, like, if they can last for that whole 162-game haul. But I – I do like the over kind of because I can see the, the Giants. Giants sneaking in like 77, 78. Giants always win 77 cool. games. Yeah. Yeah. And that was exactly. what was weird about last year was when they were making that little run. It was like, obviously, I don't think the Giants are that like as good as the other teams. But it was like, you know, it's a weird year. What if the fucking Giants did it? Like they do weird shit like that when you're like, this team's not good. And it's like, they oh, won three World Series. with like the ninth best team in baseball. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> So um, weird. Yeah, I, yeah. That's all I really got. Andrew, you have anything else on I'm, this year's Giants? I'm taking the over too. Just, they, I thought they were going to be like the Pirates last year, but they just kind of win. And for the Giants fans out there, the future is on the horizon because after this year, they have like virtually nobody on the books, and mm-hmm. they've always been in contract. I mean, talks with like Harper, and Machado. They bring in big free agents, so stay tuned. They're going to make some splashes. When we'll is see. Joey Bart gonna make his MLB debut? I, I, <laughs> they're gonna hold him down another like I read. They're gonna hold him down for service yeah. time crap. But it's oh. the same thing with Adley Rutschman. They, these catchers that they draft, they don't come up to like they're twenty six and their knees are gone by their thirty, and then they have to move to first base. <laughs> Seems counterproductive. Very. Um, Buster yeah. Posey could be the counterpoint to that. So. Yeah, Buster, uh, a year off last year. We'll see what he's got left in the tank. I mean, I think Buster Posey, it's never been like his athleticism is why he was so good. I think if he can just remain a solid hitter, um, I think his career can go on because he can play first base. I just worry. I don't want to see him play another fucking team. 
That would be devastating. Yeah, this is like his is value. Year, to I think. A, his, his value to a team theoretically, if he if he is like if he hits over 280 this year or something like that, consistent, a team like the Yankees or I don't know one of the bigger the name teams might get to pick him up. That yeah. scares me because I feel like he's he could be good at that, and that <laughs> would suck. But enough about that. Let's go through these last two teams in the division. We don't need to talk too much about them. You got the Diamondbacks plus seven thousand to win the division, over under win seventy five and a half. Either of you have anything to say about the Arizona Diamondbacks? No. Johnny goes to school there, Arizona. We got that's, that. That's nice. Bear um, down. Take the under because I just can't. I don't like watching the Diamondbacks. I won't watch the Diamondbacks <laughs> much this year. Mm-hmm. And then I the can't. Rockies at the bottom of the NL West. Plus 7,500 to win the division. Over-under wins 63.5. Obviously, no Nolan Arenado I mean, that's, in Colorado anymore. That sucks. I'm going to take the under just because they gave the Cardinals $50 million and Nolan Arenado just to take him <laughs> off his hand for no reasons. Like, I don't understand what team. And then they have Trevor Story, who they're probably going to trade to as a top shortstop. And I just don't understand what teams are doing when they do that. Like, what's they're the like, logic? We'll, we'll trade like, him, get a couple we're prospects trade him back, and to hopefully, hopefully it's that. Four years, you'll get someone maybe as good as him. And right. They just <laughs> paid him like three, $250 million two years ago, and two years into the deal, they're already like, oh, we gotta, we can't shoot <laughs> anymore. <laughs> 40 home runs. Yeah. yeah what tough. they should do is draft pitchers in like the first 45 rounds next three years and then bring in free agent hitters. <laughs> That's the only way they can do it now. Like they every offseason, like, let's get pitchers, and then like, like what, what did they sign? Hitter. Hitter, hitter. It's like, a death oh, sentence. Yeah. 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 Would um, you want to put Ubaldo Jimenez? He was dealing dirty. That's like first Baldo. half of a year for like anyone. Yeah, he was raw. He was really good in the show too with the 12 6 curveball. Um, <laughs> NL East. Let's go to that now. Andrew, you mentioned this team earlier in the pod. Uh, the Atlanta Braves are the favorite to win this division at plus 135. The Nets close, or the Mets, excuse me, close behind him. Over under on wins for this Braves team is 91 and a half. Three less than the Padres. Andrew, we'll start with you. You like this over? So the only problem with this, the NL East is so much better than every other division. And then the AL East isn't going to be a fun division to play like the AL West would be. So (laughs) I'll take the over because I think they get 92, like right around there. They win the division, though. I just think this division with the Mets, the Nationals. Hey, the Marlins are going to come in last, but they they <laughs> won a playoff series last year. So, yeah. Stephen, what are your thoughts on the Braves? I'm taking the old. Braves are stacked for sure. And as the division they play in is just tough. Like Nationals, their starting rotation is like they had just added John Lester and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Mets with Degrom, Syndergaard, and Isaiah Lindor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, to jump, I don't think jump they made the playoffs in, last year, but yeah. to jump in really quickly and you look at this division, we can just go through it all because you guys have mentioned it. So the Braves, they're sitting there as the favorite at plus one thirty-five to win. The Mets are at plus one forty. They're right there. And then you got the Nationals at plus six fifty. Two years, a year. Is it a year off or two years off? How do you? It wasn't obviously last. Well, it was well, just the, the asterisk. So technically, one yeah, year, right. <laughs> the real <laughs> defending champions. Um, and then you got the Phillies at plus one thousand. And then the Miami Marlins at plus 3,000. When you look at the over-unders on this, Braves 91.5, Mets 90.5, Nationals 84.5, Phillies 80.5, and, 
Marlins 70 and a half. So I do see the point of when you look at this division, some of the overs and unders, you might kind of want to look down a bit because these teams might be beating up each other in a way, kind of like what the Pac-12 does in college football. Um, Steven, um, out of all those these teams we've mentioned, with the value of them, is it still the Braves? Is that your pick? I would pick the Braves, but it's not a bad play for the Nationals, mm-hmm. I would say. But I just don't trust the Mets. The Mets are just – Yeah, I, I don't I – mean, They always choke for some reason. But. They're, already in, they're always in headlines for the wrong reason. They're, yeah. They've missed the playoffs by like two or three games each year. I mean, they added Lindor, but I still think the Braves have won this the past three years. The Braves – we're up three to one, and they choked. Everyone forgets they choked last year. They I mean they had their foot on the Dodgers' throat, and it was That'd suck if your team blew a three-one so lead. Fucking close. <laughs> They're suck. so hungry. I mean, when you get that close, and this team still, most people are 25, 26 years old. The core, they are hungry. They're gonna win this division. How do you think about the Phillies? I mean, they're just the angels, aren't they? The yeah. poor Bryce Harper and Mike Trout, they're the same thing. Because it's plus 1,000. It's like, they're not that bad. They're, not yeah. they're supposed yeah. to win the, like, projected to win the division two years ago. Just for, um, Value-wise, I would take the Phillies. Just because, I mean, plus 1,000. They are good. They have no It's only an 11-game difference in the over-under, too. Them, them and the Braves. Think about and they added people to their bullpen. They added like Castillo, the guy from the Rays, to their bullpen. And then for the Mets, it's like, yes, they have to Grom, but Syndergaard's hurt right now. Yeah. Who's their number two? Is Strowman. It's DeGrom and Strowman, which Strowman. is good because Carrasco's hurt, but it's like Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler. That's not a bad one, too. Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Um, let's move to the next division here. Let's go to the NL Central. Let's talk about uh, you got the favorite in the St. Louis Cardinals at plus 110 to win this division over under wins 86 and a half. Um, that seems like a very nice over. Talk me out of it. You say 87 and a half? 86 and a half. 86. Oh, my God. That's, I'm taking that. that's the bet of the year. Take that. <laughs> They're play right. the, they play this AL and AL Central. They're just going to yeah. beat them up. I mean, it's, it's the Tigers. It's the Pirates. Unless they have like a COVID thing again. God mm-hmm. forbid. Because they had, that's why they got so screwed up last year. And Jack yeah. Flaherty's season was so weird. So they had to miss so many games with that. So I'm that taking the over 86 and a half. Over 86 and a half. And then when you look at the rest of this division, you got the Reds at plus 375, over under wins 81 and a half. Brewers plus 300, over under wins 83 and a half. Um, those two were out of order, my bad. Uh, Cubs at plus 550, over under wins 78 and a half. Look like they might be going into a rebuild, potentially. And then the Pirates, the projected worst team in the MLB, over under wins 58 and a half, and their odds to win the NL Central plus 10,000. Outside of the Cardinals, even though you get the Cardinals at plus 110, is that the move? Do we not see this really going any other way? Are the Brewers going to surprise us? That would be the other team would caught my attention would be the yeah. Brewers. Yelich has a bounce back here. Brandon Woodruff's good. They had this guy named Corbin Burns who had a really, really good year. He got 88 strikeouts and 59 innings at a 2.12 ERA. They have an incredible bullpen. They're, they got Jackie Bradley Jr. They're going for defense bullpen kind of year. Um, yes. Yeah. And the Brewers are always kind of in it until the end of September, so... I, I like the Brewers. Just Do you like that place. over 83 and a half? I like that. Over, I think they're two games behind the Cardinals. And St- Stephen, anything else jump out at you at the NL Central? 
Reds are actually pretty good. They have a good lineup, and then their pitching staff with uh, Castillo. yeah Castillo, and then Sonny Gray actually had a pretty good year too. So that's another team to like kind of sneak in as that number two team, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and only eighty-one and a half, so that's interesting. Okay, let's go to the American League, gentlemen. We'll start with the AL West. The favorite of this division is the Astros at plus one twenty-five. Over under wins eighty-seven and a half. The Oakland Athletics are at plus 160, but their over-under wins is at 87.5 as well. Angels at plus 375, over-under wins 83.5. Mariners plus 2,000, over-under wins 72.5. And the Rangers at plus 7,500, over-under 67.5 games. It looks like you got a two-dog race at the head of the AL West between the Astros and A's, kind of how it's been the last few years. Um I'll have Steven go first on this one. Steven, do the Angels have any shot of breaking into that this year? Uh, no. I I want the Angels to be good because <laughs> wow. I want to see Trout play in a playoff game for yeah. just obvious reasons. But, no, they their pitching staff still sucks. Like, you can't win games if you're giving up eight runs a game. It, it's just, yeah. Last night... So Shohei Otani did his classic thing. He got absolutely lit up by the Dodgers. <laughs> and he's already like, he's holding his middle finger. It's like, dude, you already are having a blister problem. It's like you, he's like 10 for 19 this spring with nine home runs too, which is really annoying. Um, I mean, if he can't pitch, like I don't, I just, who pitches on this team? They need so many, they need four of those guys who are, average pitchers at best to all have career years just to have a shot because they only have one real relief pitcher in Rafael Iglesias. And if Shohei can't pitch and he's already hurt the day Who's, before the season. Is their ace like Dylan Bundy? Yeah, is that's, that... their, that's their fucking ace, Stephen Dylan oh. Bundy. Former Baltimore. <laughs> oh, so yeah, he was the number four overall pick 2012. He's got high-end talent. <laughs> Top so, talent. gentlemen, we see the we're we're not taking the Angels too seriously because of obviously they did, they still do not have pitching after like ten years of this. A's or Astros? What do we think? Because I feel like it could almost. I'm not as high on the A's and Astros as I have in past seasons. This no. this division seems pretty weak. Who do we think? Does the just consistency of the A's kind of like fucking get them this, or is it the star power on the Astros? I don't know. What it, we'll start with Big Dog and then Steven. I'm still going to take the Astros because the A's, like, the A's are always good for, like, three or four years, and they finally have a year they come back to earth for a little bit. That might be this year. Um, the Astros, I just, I mean, you got Correa in a contract here. He woke up in the playoffs. So Tuve, I mean, he had the yips defensively, but offensively he was great in the playoffs. Alex Bregman's still always like a top five MVP candidate. You got Michael Brantley, the rookie of the year from two years ago, Jordan Alvarez. You have Granke, you have your Quiddy, a couple young pitchers. AOS still just isn't there. Verlander's still there, right? He's a from Tommy John. Yeah. Uh, damn. I'm still going to take the A's, or excuse me, the Astros, just because they have better players. Was it a. Uh... Justin Verlander, who gave up three home runs to Pablo Sandoval in the World Series, or was that a different Tigers pitcher? Uh, that's the same guy. All right. <laughs> Hasn't changed in nine years. It's been Still on my freaking memory. Oh, I mean, like, what is? Oh. I I will say though, after that shot I just took, is Justin Verlander the best pitcher from 2010 to 2020? Probably. He's up there with Kershaw, I think. I would take Verlander over Kershaw. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's okay. tough to be, but yeah. I'd, I mean, I'd if we too. really want to go into it, you know who else I'd take over, Kershaw? Let me guess, Madison Bumgarner. I would, three ranks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the playoffs, yeah. Um, so, that 87 and a half, though, for this Astros team, do we like that over? Yeah, because you got to win 88 games to yeah. win division. Mm-hmm. And they're at plus 125, so positive odds there. Let's go to the AL Central. Uh, Steven's team, uh, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, we got the Chicago White Sox as the favorite at minus 115, over under wins 90 and a half. You got the Minnesota Twins at plus 145, over under wins 88 and a half. Cleveland, are they the Indians or did they change that? Yeah, they're still the Indians. They're still year. the Indians. They're going to but... change it next year. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Um, over under wins 81 and a half for the Cleveland Indians in their plus 950 to win that division. Kansas City Royals plus 2000 over under wins 73 and a half. And then Detroit Tigers over under wins 69 and a half. And then plus 7000 yeah, in there at the division winner. Um, I, as a, I'm not as much of an expert as baseball as you two, but here is my initial thoughts looking at this the white Sox minus 115 that's a lot of hype for a young team you know who's been pretty good lately I like where you're, like where you're thinking the, here, twin, the twins have been consistent like they, they're great point did they lose like anyone like so what they, we're gonna just buy all this hype like twins at plus 145 that yeah they're gonna lose to the yankees in the first round but <laughs> Plus 145. I, I like them to win the division. I kind of like that, too. That is actually was my division pick. It's going to be them plus 145. Because the same reason, the White Sox and Padres, yes, they had all these people. They're good. Might lose a little bit of that shine this year. Because it's just the same way the Braves kind of did a year or two ago. I mean, it's all like the same kind of teams with the excitement-wise. And then, you know, you just fall off a little bit the next year. But the Twins have won the division nearly every year for the past what like decade the thing is they just don't win playoff series or let alone playoff games so that's why we always forget about them but they're gonna win the central here this team's one of the best regular season teams of all time Mm -hmm. they're boring i don't know how they win 97 98 games because they're in the central (laughs) but twins are gonna win okay steven what's the roadmap for the tigers getting back where they suck this year that's fine (laughs) it happens to teams giants suck too how do the Tigers get back on track? They actually have a good farm system. So they have Casey Mize. They have Tariq Skubal, who's also in the top 100. And then they have another top 100. Is it Spencer Tolkinson or something? Yeah, Torkelson was their first overall pick last year. And the kid rakes. Okay. Uh, so they're obviously way years out. But at least it's something. At least they have a farm system. Mm-hmm. Like When they first started this rebuild, it was just like they had no one. And I was like, what the fuck are we doing? And then, but they've slowly built it up. So that's exciting, but I'm not excited for this year. Though. I like that they added AJ Hinch to bring a little polarizing yeah. bad boy tigers. Hey, bang them. some trash cans. Bang some, hey, whatever you need let's to do. <laughs> Buy some substance. Let's get back in the race, boys. Let's place. get it. Hey, if game. you're not cheating, you're not trying, right? So. <laughs> the tigers win like what? They're at uh, <laughs> 69 and a half. They're like at 90. 
You got the Toronto Blue Jays second. You got plus 325 to win the division over under 86 and a half games. Rays plus 500 over under 86 and a half. Red Sox plus 1400 over under 80 and a half. And those Orioles from Baltimore plus 10,000 to win the division over under 64 and a half. I will start this round off as a question as I did last division. The Rays just made the World Series. Why are they plus 500? So they traded away Blake Snell. Okay. Um, they pro- they traded away Castillo, the reliever. Doesn't really matter because they're the Rays. Don't so they, they always, always do this? So, yes. Exactly. So the Rays and A's are the very similar. It's like I'm down on them again a little bit this year just because it's I lost steam. But they're still going to be in the mix somehow because they always find a way. Yeah, I so. mean, theoretically, if you threw a flyer on them at plus 500, Judge Stanton deal with some injuries, maybe. Do you like the Rays or Blue Jays, though? Or how Are the Blue Jays legit? Blue Jays, offensively and, like, entertainment-wise, are one of the most fun teams to watch. But they have Hyunjin Ryu, who's good, but that's their ace. And then it's, like, Robbie Ray, who's still trying to figure it out from a couple years ago. Mm. They just don't, they're kind of like the same thing as the Angel. They have a better offense, but they're just, they don't pitch you, man. And then they just signed Kirby Yates, and they got Tommy John surgery, so that sucks. And then Springer's dealing with an oblique issue, but he'll be all right. Mm-hmm. So, Yankees then, are they? Just... Same thing with the Yankees. Like, you have Garrett Cole, and then who's after Garrett Cole, Stephen? I mean, you got Corey Kluber. The... Paxton, oh, I guess. The Rays at plus 500 do weird Rays shit. And it would, you could have said the same thing last year in April. Then, like, oh, yeah, the Rays are going to win the division. Yeah. <laughs> well, the Rays won the division and made the World Series. But, I mean, the Yankees, it's – what Luke Voigt already got hurt, and he's going to be out for three weeks, or he's not going to have baseball activity till like, June or something. He led the league in home runs last year. Then you have – can Stanton be healthy? Can Aaron Judge be healthy? And everyone's already shaking their head no, because we've never seen that. And – yeah, they have Chapman, Britain, and that big, you know, three-headed monster bullpen that's kind of aging now. But, dude, it's just so many teams. And like the Dodgers, they just have one pitcher, one starting pitcher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and you AL just East, a lot of role pitchers, yeah. Yeah, AL East kind of up in the air. A lot of runs probably will be scored in that division. Um, gentlemen, let's go and look at... Uh, MVP odds for both the AL and NL. We'll start with the NL. Um, the two favorites are Soto and Betts. You know, Juan Soto, Mookie Betts, both at plus 750 to win the NL MVP, followed by Cody Bellinger, Acuna Jr. at eight, plus 800, Tatis at plus 850, Arenado at plus 1200, Freddie Freeman plus 1200, Lindor 1200, Yelich 1200, and then Seeger and Harper at plus 1,500. Out of those names, I know I just said a lot. Where are you guys seeing value in this year's NL MVP? Um, Big Dog, we'll go to you and then to Steven. So I'm going to take Frankie Lindor because he. I just love, I think he's the best shortstop in the game. I think he's going to get a lot plus of hype. Plus 1,200. I mean, because he's been in Cleveland. He's going to go to New York. He's going to get a lot of hype. And if the Mets are good, they're going to be like, oh, my God, it's because we traded for Francisco Lindor. We finally made the playoffs. And he's just really, really, really good. He's the best, one of the best defense shortstops. He can hit 40 home runs, everything you want in a player. Mm-hmm. I like Arenado. He's going to be on a team that wins the division. He's going to be hitting third or fourth on a 
lineup that gets on base. He consistently puts up over a 300 batting average, 30 to 40 home runs, and easily over 100 RBIs. I think if they win a division, he's probably going to snag it. He's going to be so happy this year because, I mean, you go from Colorado to St. Louis, one of the best organizations in all Mm -hmm. sports. Yeah. Yeah. It's the Spurs of the MLB. Um, (laughs) The one thing I will say as I'm looking at these, uh, my pick, what I will go with, I I don't like this. Plus Posey? Team. No, I, I'm looking at Corey Seager plus 1500. I had thought Shrimp. of that. Yeah, I mean, if the guy continues, but I've, dude, he was the best hitter I've ever seen last year. That's like two weeks in the playoffs. He had like 10 he, home runs. Yeah, he's kind of insane. So that at plus 15, I mean, because like, I don't know, I kind of think Seager's better than Cody Bellinger. Yes, I, I do too. Yeah. But and he's it, in a contract here, Corey Seager. But the thing is with, uh, I guess it's different in baseball because in, with the NBA MVP, when you had uh, like when you have AD and LeBron together, when you had Steph and KD, you kind of split the MVP vote, votes when it's like that. Is that as true in baseball though? Like how when you're on the same team, like let's say like the it? Dodgers are doing really well and Mookie has a Mookie year, Bellinger does well, Seager is the best, but the other guys are still having great years. Does that kind of dilute the Seager MVP pool like it would in the NBA? Just because they're so good, yeah. they're probably like, you don't have to do as much. Okay. Because okay. especially when it's you got three or four top MVPs. I yeah. fuck those guys. So let's go don't to choke, the, the AL MVP. The overwhelming favorite, the AL MVP at plus 225 is Mike Trout. Yeah. Fucking god. Yeah, that's who I'm taking. I'm yeah. just <laughs> I looked at uh, the other names, dude. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I will take Trout, but let's for what it's worth, let's look at him. We, if you go to plus twelve hundred, you'll get Bregman, Judge, and Jose Ramirez. At plus fifteen hundred, Matt, my boy Matt Chapman and Anthony Rendon. At plus fifteen hundred, damn Shohei. Plus twenty two hundred, Vlad Jr. Plus twenty five hundred, Moncada uh, from Chicago. Plus twenty five hundred, as well as Luis Robert. Gliber Torres at plus 2,500. I think Trout is the move here. Um, the only other way I see. He has to get hurt. I mean, that's it. Yeah, yeah. He, would, he would have to get hurt. And then like one of. Well, I mean, dude, if theoretically, if Aaron Judge has a big. Like, if he's healthy, if Aaron Judge is healthy. healthy New York market and the Yankees are good. Because it's like with Trout. If yell if. If Judge is healthy for a year and puts up good numbers, he's not going to put a good numbers as Trout, and the Yankees are good, and the Angels are the Angels, I could see how Judge could take that, even though I'm not saying he's better than Trout. And that's the, but that's like the only name, because I don't see the MLB giving Alex Braveman rewarding him anytime mm-hmm. soon. Uh, Chap- I think Jose I don't Ramirez think is traded, and he's just on, the, on Cleveland, so he'd have to be... I think you're on Cleveland, dude. Good luck. Uh <laughs> What about LeMahieu at plus 3,300? There's just two. Mm. I don't, plus 3,300. Yeah. He's, he's not going to outperform Trout, though, man. Like, <laughs> like value-wise, that's a good pick. But all those people are just, like, young players like Makata, Anderson. Yeah. I mean, you got someone who's been doing it for a decade. Who yeah. won it last year? Abreu? Yeah, Jose Abreu won it. Is he even on there? Jose Abreu is at a plus 2,500. So... <sighs> Yeah, he's probably not going to win it again. It's <laughs> 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 no. tough. But that's just um, how much better the, like, the shift from the AL to the NL in the past like two yeah. years, superstar-wise yeah. and team-wise. It's, and just it's a, evident, you know, I think, when I'm looking here, we're jumping into the Cy Young. We'll start with the NL. Um, the favorite, 
Jacob DeGrom, plus 425, followed by Trevor Bauer, plus 700, Scherzer, plus 950, Walker Bueller, plus 1,000, Darvish, plus 1,200, Aaron Nola, plus 1,200, Blake Snell, plus 1,200, Jack Flaherty, uh, plus 1,500, Luis Castillo, plus 1,500. Yeah, that's about what I would say would matter. Um, I don't think Bauer's going to get it. If any Dodger gets it, I would guess it would be Bueller. Um, if Jacob DeGrom and the Mets have a good year, I could see that. As if I, I don't mind Aaron Nola at plus 1,200, um, but I will go to you, Steven, and then to you, Big Dog. Yeah, I like Walker Bueller or Jack Flaherty, but if I had to lean one, probably Bueller. Big Dog? Hi. I'm going with Jack Flaherty. I'm all over that plus 1,500 in the NL. He was supposed to pretty much win it last year. He was a heavy yeah. favorite. And then we already talked about it. He got Kobe. missed a lot of starts. He's just going to play in the NL Central. In the AL Central. Just feed off that the same way Trevor Bauer did last year. Oh, I like that. Um, okay, let's go to AL Cy Young. The favorite, Garrett Cole in New York. Shane Bieber, <laughs> plus 400 in Cleveland. Friend of the pod. Friend Shane of the Bieber. pod. <laughs> Um, saw him once at a party, you know. Played basketball with him. at the Laguna Hills Rec Center. Yeah, I pitched against him in high school for a game, too. Yeah. Did you beat him? Really fucking good in high We lost 2-1, but yeah, he's good. He was like Not probably bad. the only good player at Laguna Hills, right? Yes. That's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. <laughs> Best player ever turned out at Laguna Hills. Probably, right? Like, overwhelmingly? Yeah. In the history? Yeah, okay. Sorry. Got a Cy Young, yeah. Yeah. Um, so All-Star Bieber at plus 400 guy who I have no idea who it is. Lucas Giolito um, from the White Sox plus 450 Tyler Glass now plus 950. Isn't that the guy that Jared Carabas from Barstool Sports loves to talk about how hot so he is? So burning about that guy. <laughs> he just loves his fastball. He lo- Jared loves 206 curveballs. <laughs> and Glass now. It's beautiful. Um Hyun Jun Ru uh, is at plus thirteen hundred. My guy Jose Barrios at plus seventeen hundred, along with Lance Lynn. And then at plus eighteen hundred, you can get Corey Kluber. Uh, big dog, where? What is the move here in the AL? I mean, like it's kind of the same thing. It's like it's just Garrett Cole's to lose. He's going to get the most opportunity. It's like, dude, this guy's going to get three hundred Ks. He's going to get the most wins to help that stat. And you're just going to be in the Yankees. You're the best pitcher in the American League. Because it's literally, it's Jacob DeGrom and Garrett Cole. And then there's just another level. Another oh, wait, 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 wait. I forgot someone. Uh, Dylan Bundy, plus 4,000. 4,000. It's enticing. Okay, so value-wise. <laughs> no, do not do that. That's an absolute donation. Patrick Sandler. I like. Yeah, is he on the Angels still? Yeah. He is. He, he's been pitching. He's fighting for a spot. Chandler got traded to the. Wizards. The Wizards, yeah. He put up 18 he points last year, Chandler. I don't know about in Chicago, but I guess he got 18. I thought he was yes. hurt at the beginning of the year. He wasn't really playing in Chicago at all, and then he just played last night, I guess. But just like, I mean, I mean, you know, everyone knows who Garrett Cole is, and it's like Shane Bieber, yes, he won last year. I don't think he'll do it again. I still think Bieber's like tier two-ish. Um, Lucas Giolito, Glasnow. Kind of gets overhyped. Ryu, Barrios, Lancelin. I mean, Kento Maeda is like the eighth guy in the American. Seriously, the guy's like 37. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we get Garrett Cole. Yeah, so it's Garrett Cole the is the is that the move for you too, Steven? Yeah, if you had to like take like a risk on anyone, pipe Barrios. 
I mean, Luis Severino's but, not even going to pitch till June, and he's a higher favorite than Zach Granke. Like, what is yeah. going on here? Yeah, it's tough. There, there is a big divide here in the AL and NL. Holy shit, I didn't realize it was this big. Um, okay, gentlemen, let's talk predictions. Um, big Dog, do you want to start us off with some predictions? I feel like you got a couple things written down. So, I have... Who's going to be the home run leader in baseball this year? I'm going to go out to New York. Not to... We're actually going to go to Queens, I believe. That's where the Mets are. Is that where the Mets are? Yeah. We're going with Pistol Pete, Pete Alonso. He had 16 home runs last year. He had 53 the year before. I think he's ready for another 50 year with Lindor backing him up. That's my I, I like that. plus 1100. Uh, oh, that is nice. Steven, do you have anything off the top of your head that you like for home runs? No, you kind of just stole my thunder, big dog. You like Pistol Pete? I like the polar bear. So do I. Um, I will say, uh, what about Yelich off here, bounce back? Is that is that could That's that be in the card? Yelich, those like two three years, whatever he was doing it, he was better than Mike Trout when I saw hitting wise. Mm-hmm. Like, when the guy's locked in, he's locked in. Yeah. Um. Any any other predictions you want to run through, Big Dog? I have so my value most strikeouts this year for the National League. It's going back to my boy Corbin Burns. A guy had insane. If you're just gonna go by numbers, a 2.1 ERA, a 1.02 WHIP, 89 Ks and 59 innings. Guys on the Brewers, he's a sleeper. Is he a starter? Get, he's a starter. He's like he's gonna be their number two after Brandon yeah. Woodruff. But it's like the Brewers are sneaky good, and yeah. that's my like value most strikeouts of the year. Okay, um, I like that. I got. Let's go. Uh... Let's do uh, World Series predictions. Fuck it. Let's do it. No time like the present. Um, I'll start while you guys let it marinate in your mind. My pick for the World Series will be the St. Louis Cardinals defeating the Houston Astros. Okay, so... For what it's worth, I am on fire guessing who goes (laughs) in professional sports. I am. So the Cardinals beaten the Astros in how many games? Six. All right, six games. So about four years ago. How many pitches they're going to throw per game? I know that too. How many pitches they're going to throw in game seven in game one? Game six? 147 pitches in game one. That's an incredibly fast game. (laughs) I heard he's pitching. Thank God. That's amazing. I have it all calculated, dude. We don't even need to get into it. It's like I might get in trouble with the SEC because I know all this stuff. I guess so. Um, big Doug, who you got in the World Series? So, so like four or five years ago, early in this Padre rebuild, I made a bold prediction where I said, it's like, you know what's going to happen in 2021? The Padres are finally going to make it, and they're going to lose in six games. And they're going to lose to the freaking Minnesota Twins, and Byron Buxton will be your MVP. That's all you need to know. There's no – it's just a gut – I'm very good at guessing these two, not just Brian. I like it. So the twins are beating the Yankees. The twins are beating the Padres <laughs> in six games. Well, they got to beat the Yankees probably to get. And the, yes, they. But yes, they will right. get through that ALDS round right. finally. They'll get a playoff win. They're going to win two playoff series. They'll be so hot. Byron Buxton, World Series MVP. I wonder what the odds are on that right now, since they're not even in it. Probably a trillion or something. Yeah, I don't even know if that's listed. Um, (laughs) It'll be illegal to list that. Yeah, Steven, what do you got? Gonna go Braves-Astros. I take the Braves 
to win it all. I like it, the Braves. So, Andrew, you have an AL team winning, but would you say if you were power ranking the top seven teams, how many would you say? Or like, all right, so I'll do. I go Dodgers, Braves, Padres, and then, Cardinals, then like Cardinals, Giants, um, Mets. <laughs> And then, like, well, no, I'm going to go Yankees, then the Mets. So, okay. But okay. even then, I've got a lot of questions about the Yankees. There's always questions about this yeah. team. They just are always have to be the third best team or better. Well, it's like, yeah, who do you even take in the AL? Like, Astros? I mean, Astros have done it. Yankees, the AL is wide open. It's just, yeah. So I had the Rays at plus 500 at that. I bet just see, like, the value in teams like the Rays and A's this year because. They've been able to do less with or more with less in years past. I also, though, am wondering, like, how much did, like, the weird COVID season benefit a team like the Rays that do the weird types of, like, pitching polls and, like, with the shortened? I kind of feel like that might have helped a decent amount. You know what I'm saying? Definitely a short season because it's hard to use five, six pitchers on a night. Yeah. Six months. Um, So to wrap this up, um, I mean, gentlemen, we're going to be doing this – every week or every other week baseball for the rest of the year. I'm excited to start doing that. Excited to have Steven on board with us. Um, we'll just do this a general thing to wrap it up. What are you looking forward to the most about this MLB season? I'll set the stage. I am looking forward to the day when um, Oracle Park, also formerly known as AT&T Park, opens up and allows fans in. And mm. Big Dog d- takes up a flight up to the Bay Area. And us three, me, Steven, and Big Dog, all enjoy a nice 21st Amendment brew while we <laughs> sit out there and we watch the Giants play the Padres. Give me that watermelon wheat, baby. That yep, would be let's go. Awesome. Get that, there's the little brewery right next to it that gives you, like, the chunk of watermelon in it. It would yep. be a fantastic time. I, I really want to go see some uh, baseball games this year. So that's what I'm looking forward to, get some sense of normalcy. Steven, to you, and then to Big Dog. I am looking forward to a nice full 162 game season, watching it every single day on the MLB TV bet. And then, yeah, like you said, fans at a ballpark. Just watching a game and you have like some fans in the crowd, like catching a foul ball, will make it way, way better. I hope they boo the Astros and yeah. nobody forget. Like, they need we knew their they can't. So that, so that would be something I'm looking forward to. The other thing is, I'm really excited to watch pitchers hit again. I mean, I really miss that. So it'll be fun to watch all these $40 million pitchers swing and just laugh and have a good time because everything's just so fun, you know? It's strategy. It's strategy. <laughs> Andrew loves the. Uh, how are we? When's that going to happen? When are this, we? Getting... This is the final year, but they're going to use. They're so. They're assholes. They're going to use that as the biggest bargaining chip until they get everything they want. And the, I mean. I don't even know what to say. Steven, you didn't hit in high school. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, <laughs> I was two for two, baby. You were two for two. Steven got two at-bats in high school. This guy's a pitcher. Varsity. And yeah, varsity at-bats, yeah. With varsity at-bats, so there you go. Um, yeah, I mean, that's actually a very good point. And, I mean, wait, so Steven, you played college ball. Did you ever have a fucking opportunity to hit in college ball? No. Why, God, why no. is that, so Steven? dumb. Why you I'm actually us. realizing, like, how dumb... <laughs> Educators having pitchers hit if you literally don't have them hit. Is it because they don't want you to get injured? They just want you, you know, you're specialized. They want you to focus on pitching. You know, what's the reason for that? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's literally just been a rule in baseball, and then there's like they're so stubborn not to change. Just one league, but it's because you got some like five year olds at their house saying like, "No, let them fucking hit." (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. 
Um, yeah, dudes who remember Babe Ruth. <laughs> yeah, okay. Gentlemen, always a pleasure talking with you. Excited for what the rest of the MLB season will hold. Uh, Big Dog Steven, God bless. And everyone, stay tuned. We'll be talking a little Falcon and Winter Soldier here with Peter Gonzalez on episode 87 of the Pineapple Couch. We will be right back. Fuck LeBron. Fuck LeBron. Ooh, we had to throw it in there. We had to throw Let's it in go. There. It's good to have someone. Um, okay. Welcome back to the Pineapple Couch, episode 87. We are going to be talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode 2. We're going to deep dive it, break it down. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the first two episodes of Falcon and the Winter Soldier on Disney+, and you don't want to get it spoiled, here's your final warning, because we are going to break down everything that happened in the episode and give some theories as well. And by we, I mean me and Peter Gonzalez. Peter, how are you doing? I am doing well. I'm always excited to talk about the latest marvel offering so i'm excited yeah. to get into this one here we are we're a third of the way through falcon and the winter soldier and i i want to bring this up because we we're just talking about it before we started going of how this show it's it's so different than wandavision not in a bad way but how with wandavision consuming it weekly it left us with so many questions you were mentioning how it like different points each day you'd like realize something or it'd come back to you and falcon and the winter soldier i guess is a little more straight up traditional mcu um, what are your whole thoughts on that? Do you think that uh, Marvel should have this balance or they should be trying to be more like everything like WandaVision? What do you think? I think I think the balance is helpful because it shows how the depth of creativity. And again, in the comics, not every single comic is exactly the same. I think this really speaks mm -hmm. to their ability, especially because going forward with the movies, too. You don't want all the movies to be like Civil War. You want you need some Guardians of the Galaxy Esque twist, which is a total break, and I like that. Again, yeah. we started off with Wandavision, which really threw every. I think it threw all the audience, old and new, oh, yeah. into the world of Marvel in a different way. And now this is again showing the people that have been with Marvel since day one, the new fans that jumped on because of Wandavision, and it's still presenting like we also do this. And I'm sure with Loki, which comes next, again it'll be wildly different. Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good point with Loki because I was going to say, um. I guess the three, like, with, I love Falcon Winter Soldier. Nothing, I'm not saying that it's not great, that I'm not as, like, theorizing as much, because it's just a different type of show. Um, but what I do see in the future of what the MCU has lined up, of stuff that will be similar, <clears throat> at least to WandaVision, I think. Loki, like you mentioned, definitely. Eternals, I think, is going to blow some people's minds and be kind of different. Then I also do think that the She-Hulk TV show has an opportunity to maybe tap in a little bit of what WandaVision had, because it's kind of like it's instead of sitcoms, it's based off like a legal show, like Law and Order, something like that. So potentially that could be cool. I think so. I think another thing to think about where this show is is similar to WandaVision is that we're getting characters that were theoretically underserved in the movies, oh, and yeah. we're getting these really tour de force performances from the actors in this other show. I mean, granted, I think it's hard to talk what Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany did in WandaVision. Mm -hmm. I think their acting was just in another league of itself. But the two, yeah. um, but here in this show, we are definitely 
having some very grounded performances that I think are breathing more because again, you have like a, you have this set episode time devoted to them as opposed to here's five seconds in a movie, do something with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. An example like the the fleshing out of Bucky and Sam's relationship as if like it's a buddy cop. We have like you mentioned, they kind of showed us it in movies, for example, in Civil War when they kind of go against Spider-Man and Spider-Man kicks their ass. But also um, with these two, the buddy cop. I just think it's incredible and it's going to continue and it's going to get probably even more so. Um, And that's what's just great about the MCU is they can dive into these different types of things and have actors like. What Paul Bettany and Elizabeth Olsen was, are doing is a completely different thing than uh, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. So um, I just really like how it fleshes out the entire MCU, and it's just such like a rich, big world, I guess. So let's get into episode two, titled The Star-Spangled Man. Um, when we're going to start with John Walker in his whole old high school locker room. The cap suit is there hanging in the locker. Uh, his girlfriend or wife? Do we know if this is wife or girlfriend? I think it was. I think it's his girlfriend. Okay. And so she's, we are led to believe that she is his high school sweetheart because she mentions how she used to sneak in here before football games to give him, like, I guess, like, are we, we're assuming like she would give him a kiss good luck or something. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, something they were wrong with that. Yeah. Um, and so she encourages him because she can tell that she's nervous and John Walker feels a ton of pressure. He basically goes how all these people are uh, counting on him to be something and he doesn't want to fail him, uh, fail them. And this like really humanizes John Walker for the first time. We're not getting it's like all week between episodes ones and two. We saw all the memes about just like funny jokes about how it's just rip off cap, just uh, stuff of that nature. And so this starts to humanize him. And it continues so when his uh, buddy or uh, fellow Army Ranger uh, Special Forces, Lamar Hoskins, comes in the room. Uh, we, we find out that they have experience together. He does tell Walker that um, the theatrics come with being Captain America. This is what Steve had to do back in World War II. This is a part of the job and that he just can't punch his way out of everything. Peter, what is your whole reaction um, to two things? So your, your reaction to like the vibe you get from John Walker in the scene, and then also that question or that thing of him saying you can't just punch your way out of everything. Is that a reference to him maybe having some darker tendencies? But first, what was your, uh, um, I guess, what did you think about John Walker in the scene? I think it's, he almost feels like he's just got like an ego to him, which is just, but again, I think I, it's just kind of rubbing me the wrong way. Like, the way he sees Cap is different than what Cap is supposed to be, in a sense. Like, he doesn't have that same understanding that Sam and Bucky have of the who Cap was. I mean, in the, in the following scene after he leaves the locker room, he's basically performing. But where it, which is similar to First Avenger, where Steve went out and did stuff. But Steve was selling, like, the war bonds. He was selling this idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas with John Walker, it feels like he's selling himself. He's trying yeah. to say that, look at me, I am fully. And as the episode goes on, we do see little nods to him being like, <clears throat> I have 20-20 vision, I can do this. So then when we go into that line, you know, you can't just punch your way through this. I think he does have some darkness to him that's unresolved. And I think that that's not who Captain America should be, it is, or what mm-hmm. the character is. So I think there is, sure he has some edge to him, but it's like, He's not 
fully together, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, there's a couple of things that we'll get to later in this episode that I think do a good job of demonstrating that. And one thing I would just like to say that I find funny about all this is like, so they are all, I mean, the the way the government is building up this propaganda, so to speak, of the new Captain America and how they this country needs a Captain America. And the funny thing is when you think back on Captain America, the first Avenger, Captain America became really, really became Captain America when he basically ignored the government and did his own thing. And so all of the biggest things that Cap has done over the MCU, the Steve Rogers, Chris Evans run, a lot of you think Winter Soldier, you think Civil War, Infinity War. It's him defying the government to do what's right, whereas John Walker kind of just seems like he is just kind of like going to follow orders and do what he's told and lack that critical thinking that made Steve Rogers, Steve Rogers. So it's very, it's very good analysis. I think that's, I mean, that's going to, I think play out across the next episode, four episodes, because it just, something about him is just, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. It's off. I, mean, we're, I feel like off. we're going to be saying that the whole series, but things are not going in a good direction. Yeah. And so after uh, the locker room, we're going to go out to the high school is hosting Good Morning America on the football field. It's a whole big event. The band is playing. There's the people that, uh, what is it called? Not the band, but the people who are like twirling the sticks on the football field. Um, the drum line? But no, is that it's drum? not drum line. Isn't that the band? There's a name for it. You know what I'm talking about? Like at yeah. the football games in high school, they'd wave the sticks or... I, I, that sounds like p- patronizing. It's not. That's just what I, I remember it as. So that's that's what's going on out there. Maybe someone will tell us what it was going on. I literally, in my notes, wrote down people waving sticks. <laughs> um, but let's get to the GMA interview. Good morning, America. John Walker info we get from this interview. I got to say, a little douchey in this interview. A little douchey. Has this like little this weird, arrogant smugness about him. Don't like it. Don't like it. He does, though, however, say... That being Captain America is the greatest honor of his life. So credit to him. He has a little, he appreciates the moment. And then we find out he's the first person to ever receive three medals of honor in the U.S. military. Um, that the government studied his body and tested, he tested off the charts in every subject, like you mentioned with the 2020 vision, just all these things. And I don't know if you noticed this, it seems like Walker kind of brushed that aside and moved on pretty quickly, don't you think? Yeah. Like he could potentially be hiding something. Who knows? Um, and then the topic of Steve Rogers, Captain America comes up and um, John Walker talks with him with great admiration. Um, but what it just as tough as the way he's talking about Steve when he didn't know Steve. And the thing that gets me is when he says basically the line. And that's some Marvel music. Let's go. Sorry, my phone. Rang. It's OK. Um, <laughs> he's basically what gets it, Peter, is when he says. Steve feels like a brother, how he never knew him, but he followed him. And right as he says that, it cuts to Bucky. Yeah. It just tore my heart out. It tore. The the thing we mentioned, uh, how different, like, Elizabeth Olsen's performance and, like, what's going on in those two shows. The way Bucky is uh, uh, showing grief, kind of, I guess, of the loss of Steve is somewhat it's different obviously than Elizabeth Olsen and Wanda but je- almost just as heartbreaking. I think I think so. I think also because he had that long he had the relationship with Steve in the beginning, he lost the relationship, he got it back. That's all he has. And then this to see this random dude being like it's like a brother and it's just like when he has no idea that no literally idea. 
Bucky and Sam exist, who know firsthand what it's like. To, they were there with him until the, I mean, at the end of the line. Like, they were mm. with him. So On the left. It's just, I, yes. I again, like you said, the, the performances that they're doing are just so much depth to them. Mm-hmm. And so now we will flash forward um, ahead in the show to Sam appears to, he's going, he's getting uh, Joaquin Torres. That's his name, right? Correct. Hell yeah. Um, I didn't even have that down. But uh, he meet, they meet, and they're going to go fly out to Munich, I believe, um, because Red Wing tracked down some Flag Smasher intel to over there. And so as Sam's walking out, you see him looking at the cap is back poster of John Walker. Clearly, like we saw at the end of episode one, he is not like this. He is annoyed by this. And then we hear our man Bucky shows up and says, basically, you shouldn't have given up the shield and starts really prying at Sam and saying how this was a mistake and Steve trusted you, all of this stuff. Um, Sam basically, go away, Bucky. Go away. Go away. Goodbye. Nice knowing you. Whatever. You're a douche. And then basically, though, says he's going to go on a mission and Bucky says, well, what could be more important than this? And so Sam then fills him in on the whole thing that's going on with the Flag Smashers. And so Bucky's like, fuck it. I'll come. And he's on the plane despite Sam not wanting that. But uh, a thing we saw in the trailers that I thought was really funny. We get the aliens, androids, wizards, big three scene from the two of them. And you also get, uh, so Bucky goes like, what do you mean, Gandalf? Like, we're going to fight Gandalf next? And Sam goes like, well, how, how would you know about that? You've been under ice or you've been with Hydra or whatever. And so funny. Bucky says, I read it when it first came out in 1937, which is just incredibly funny. And then you also get the line of how a sorcerer is a wizard without a hat. Um, what was your reaction to this first meeting in the show of Bucky and Sam? I loved it because I feel like it picked up where the Spider-Man sequence of Civil War kind of ended. They mm-hmm. picked it up right off the bat. I loved the back and forth. I loved the. I almost feel like it's foreshadowing the androids, aliens, wizards, because I feel like going forward, that's what we're mostly going to deal with in the MCU for the most part, based on what movies are coming. So I like that they're kind of like saying kind of offhanded, but I mean, like that's literally what the threats are going to be coming up. We had a Dr. Strange reference, which I mean, all those things always have some weight behind them. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I like, I liked how they do show, they continue to show that Bucky's really old. Yeah. He's so old, and it's like important to remember that because uh, I mean, later in the episode when we meet Isaiah Bradley, we'll show basically if Bucky wasn't like put under shape, how old he would actually look. But that's a little ahead of myself. So the two head to Munich, and um, Sam won't tell Bucky the plan, and Buck and uh, Sam actually calls uh, Bucky Buck, and I thought this was incredibly funny the way deadpan Sebastian Stan just says this, how you can't call him, you can't call me Buck. Sam's like, what? Steve called you Buck. And um, Bucky says, Steve could because he knew me longer, and Steve had a plan. I just, I don't know why. I just, when I was watching that at like 12.45, the first night it came out at night, I just lost it. I thought that was hilarious. Um, Sam still won't tell Bucky the plan, jumps out of the plane. Bucky follows with no parachute, lands, tries to land on his vibranium arm, really just eats shit. Sam taunts him because he says uh, Red Wing got all of that on camera. And then they uh, meet up and they go to this warehouse where they are tracking the Flag Smashers. And we see that it looks like they're smuggling maybe weapons, vaccines. We're not sure at this point yet until later in the episode. And Bucky just wants to attack. He says, I have a vibranium arm. 
And Sam goes, well, I can fly. That doesn't, I, no one gives a shit. We need to wait. We need to be cautious, which this is, I think, a cool way how it's showing how Sam is a good, great choice for Captain America. The, di- the dynamic between Bucky and Sam is showing that. Not, and I love Bucky just as much, but it's Sam's decision making. I think we'll see this throughout the show more and more of how he is really the heir to Steve in terms of that Captain America mindset. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think the, especially with that whole foreshadowing of the Steve had a plan and he's Sam is literally showing he has a plan when he gets into situations that do require a sense of strategy before just going in there because I think again, again it brings that balance which we need. Mm-hmm. So that, like, I think you mentioned this in the first episode that we did about this show. They're both a different side of Steve. Yep. They both have more so than what's his name? Walker. He Yeah, Walker. You know, I just can't bring myself to learn his name because I'm. Yeah, so I only say his last him. name. But yeah, <laughs> I I liked I liked their dynamic. I liked that they that there was there was purpose to Sam's decisions. Mm-hmm. And so they think that a hostage is inside one of the trucks, and so the trucks leave, and Bucky and Sam follow. One thing I wanted to br- bring up though before we get to the battle scene here is uh Sam is taunting Bucky, calling him, uh. Like after his time in Wakanda, he's like, oh, they call you White Panther. And um, Bucky goes, it's White Wolf, actually. And Sam goes, what? And that is an incredible, credible reference to White Wolf, who uh, in the comics what is basically he's a, the White Wolf is in charge of Wakanda's um, like specials, like forces, like this elite, elite group. Um, and Bucky does that for a stretch in the comics. He is that character. There's also other people who take on the White Wolf. But we also heard, saw at the end of... Um, is it at the end of Black Panther? Or is it... Yeah, it's at the end of Black Panther when they see at the post credit scene when we see Bucky and the people were calling him the White Wolf. So that's mm-hmm. a cool comic book Easter egg. I like to see that. And then I don't know why this was so satisfying. I think it's because I miss uh, Cap. But... Seeing Bucky run with super speed to catch up to those trucks was so freaking cool. Oh, my God. Just like those. It's just it reminds you of Steve and uh, first Avenger chasing down the car. Just a great callback to that. Um, And so Bucky gets inside the trucks and he gets attacked by, quote unquote, who we thought thought was the hostage. And we soon find out that all these flag smashers are super soldiers. They destroy Red Wing, which another great line from Sebastian Stan. As he's getting the crap beat out of him, he says, I always wanted to do that. Another just great, great moment. And um, before uh, we talk about John Walker showing up, the Flag Smashers neutralize Sam and Bucky. And so we see firsthand, Peter, how this group, is they're gnarly. They're gnarly, and they're going to be a serious threat. What was your uh, take on this kind of, not reveal because we saw them, but the first action scene with them? I liked it. I liked that it, it had motion, that they were on top of the moving cars with everything. I liked, like we said, we had that callback to Steve running in so many great sequences throughout the MCU. I liked that, again, we're seeing that even though they are fighting together, they're still not necessarily a team yet. Mm-mm, they're still kind of, they haven't figured that part out yet. So I think that's why they were be able to, the super, super soldiers were able to stop them, in a sense, because they're not a team yet. And I think that that's something that's going to play out through the rest of the show. 
Yeah, and that's something, certainly, when you look at the history of the MCU, the importance of working as a team has been central to it. Like, you look at the last battle versus Thanos, the way that Cap and Thor work together, the way Iron Man and Thor work together, and you saw how it, it punished them in Infinity War when they weren't together. And so I, I like that, yeah, they do need to get uh, get some more experience fighting together. And so now we got our our, our, our lame guy, John Walker, is going to show up with his shield, um, and he's with Lamar Hoskins. And so Walker... To his credit, he's pretty good with the shield, um, slinging it around, hitting people. One point, Bucky catches it and hands it to him with not with not even his vibranium arm. Just looks at him. You know, Bucky doesn't like this. Um, and basically, though, Bucky's thrown off, and Sam has to save him. Does this cool like swoop under the trucks, and they're they're gone. They're on the side of the road. The trucks keep going. I don't know why they didn't just follow to get back into the battle. Maybe they throw the white flag. Who knows. Um, and then the flag smashers throw Lamar Hoskins off, and John Walker with a pretty cool move throws the shield under Hoskins so he doesn't land straight on the the asf- asphalt. Is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah. Wow. You know when you like say a word in your head like no, there's no way that's what it is. That's just what happened. Um, a couple things though. So Walker is using a gun throughout this. I know Steve did that in uh, the first Avenger, but something we haven't seen from modern day Captain America. Um, but the Flag Smashers throw Walker off the, the moving car, and he lands on a car uh, behind. And here, my question. This fight is going on for quite a long time. What the hell is that sedan doing? Like, trailing it. Like, if you're just that cab, like, you really got to get somewhere? Like, you give him at least, like, I don't know, 100 yards. They're, like, five feet behind. It's, like, that stood out to me. But, um... <laughs> What did you think of seeing John Walker in action as Captain America, really, for the first time? No, not a Steve Captain America for the first time in the MCU. What'd you think? Um, you know, it was a good fight sequence. It was good. It was um, kind of like when they put the subs in in the last quarters of the game, you know, just so the subs get a chance to play. That's the I kind of vibe. It. I'm just so not on board with him, so I'm just like trying not to be a mm-hmm. hater, but it's just like, and it, I. Uh, if, no, be was, a hater. The, the shield hater. move was cool, I suppose. Yeah, because he did save him. But it's also like they're like the Walmart version of Steve and Sam, like the two of them. Oh, it's yeah. like, I'm just like, mm-hmm. and, and the fact that he feels that he's better than Sam and Buggy and just in the fight, I don't know. I'm just, you know, yeah. it, was, it was all right. It was, an, it was a good fight scene. Mm-hmm. I, got, I, got, I want to jump in with something, uh, a little comic book stuff here. What's crazy? Well, I'm going to say 150% both of John Walker and Lamar Hoskins have taken the uh, Super Soldier Serum. Maybe they will end up taking more at some point, but I think at this point, basically, um, with the Super Soldier Serum, I think that these two guys have had to have taken it, Walker and Hoskins. Maybe they'll end up taking more that could cause them to turn bad in a way. But there's something from the comic books that is important to note is that when... They try to replace Captain America and, like, have people test out using his shield. Like, I, I want to say hundreds of people try to do it. And most, like, everyone who's, like, a normal person's hands are breaking. And, like, sh- wrists are shattering from catching that shield. Like, it's that strong. It's that – it moves that fast. It's that lethal. And so seeing him fling it around like this, I'm just calling bullshit, you know? That's a very good point because how how can you do that? That's a vibranium shield. Like, Like, yeah, like no one's done that up until this point. 
Yeah, it's pretty crazy that, like, if he's just the way he's doing it, like, that would break a normal person's hand. Yeah. It would. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Um, Let's go, though. So Bucky and Sam are walking away. They uh, lost the battle, so they're walking on the road. And uh, good banter between the two of them. And then Walker and Hoskins show up and offer a ride, and it's great. Sam and Bucky just keep fucking walking. They have no interest in talking to those two losers. And then Walker is kind of trailing with them, driving slowly. And he keeps telling them how they need to work together. They want to work together. And he uses we way too much for my liking. I mean, good God. Stop saying we, bro. We're not on the same team. And um, Bucky tells him, basically, like, just because you have the shield doesn't make you cap. Um, he asks, this is huge. This is a huge moment for me. He asks if you ever jumped on a grenade and, uh, John Walker says, yeah, four times. And he mentions basically kind of goes this like, uh, not indestructible helmet, but some sort of helmet he uses that can stop the grenade. That is not what the jumping on the grenade thing is about. The reason that Steve Rogers, the guy who would jump on the grenade, everyone is so... He was prepared to die. He jumped on it with his body. He didn't have an indestructible helmet. That's it's completely John Walker being like, oh, yeah, I did. I put it. uh." No, it's about risking your life. That's what that whole grenade thing is about. Don't you think? Yeah. And it was before he'd even taken the super soldier. It was like he was like, oh, like it was just his innate goodness, which I don't think John Walker has. It's just like so it's like he can't compare the two things at all, because like you said, it's not about being able to stop the thing from going off. It's about sacrificing yourself for everyone else. Mm-hmm. 100%. And so um, they reluctantly end up, Sam and Bucky reluctantly end up getting in the car, and Haskin revealed that they tracked Sam with Red Wing. And Sam's like, you hacked Red Wing? And you get this smug-ass response from John Walker saying, well, it's government property, and we are the government, so it's not hacking, basically. And so... That's a red flag, G- giant red flag that they are tracking Sam. I mean, I don't even need to explain it that much. That's obviously just a giant red flag that they are tracking Sam like this. And then the audacity to just come out and like say it to them like that. Yeah. Oh, oh really ballsy. Um, and then uh, what else happens here? We get, uh, oh, Walker and Haskins, Hoskins. A bit, Haskins or Hoskins? Hoskins. Hoskins. See, what happens is there's a quarterback in the NFL named Dwayne Haskins. And so it's just it's messing me up. Um, Walker and Hoskins, they they work with the GRC to keep the peace around the world as they're trying to build back the world post blip, post everyone coming back end game. Um, and then they kind of they single out Lamar and are like, what's your name? Like, And he's like, oh, I'm Lamar Hoskins. And they go, Lamar Hoskins, and you were hanging out of a a helicopter with tactical gear. I'm going to need more than that. And he goes, they call me Battlestar. And that's enough. Sam couldn't, or not Sam, Bucky's like, I'm done. He, he can't take it. This guy's calling himself freaking Battlestar. This dude's talking about we and how he uses the new Captain America. I'm done with this. I'm a hundred something years old and I am too old for this bullshit. He is not going to take it anywhere. He gets out. And then Walker tries to like establish a connection with Sam or with Sam now as Bucky's gone. And it starts good. He's he's saying like, oh, I just want to be the best Captain America I can be. It's going well. It's going well. And then he goes, he needs Cap's wingmen by his side to do this. And the thing that is so – and Sam obviously storms off after this. Not storms off, just says, 
F off and leaves. Cap never referred to Sam and Bucky as his wingmen. They were his partners. And that is another just prime example of the difference between Steve and John Walker, don't you think? Yeah, it just it was like, how dare this guy think that he can just say and act like they're beneath him? Like there's these people have more experience and more heart than he does. And it's like you you came into this party and think that you're able to be the big man on campus. But it's like, no, you don't understand even the fundamentals of what the partnership was of yeah. what it is. It, it's just crazy, too, the, the, the level of, like, um, smugness and arrogance. It's like, these dudes just fought Thanos, bro. Like, where were you? Where were you during the Battle of Wakanda before all this stuff happened? Where were you? And, like, where were you when everyone blipped back? Like, these people have been doing it and saving people forever, and this guy just thinks he can come in and just take it. It's like a level of, like, just righteousness or arrogance or, like, privilege. Fucking fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. That's how I feel about him. Let's go on. We go back to the Flag Smashers. They're staying at a citizen's house. He has beds and food for them, talking about how people, the people love them, and some call the leader Robin Hood. And then we do see, Peter, very important, the power broker texts the leader of the Flag Smashers and says that she stole something from him, and he is going to kill her. And we just saw this girl fight Falcon, Bucky, the new Captain America, and Battlestar, and not even give a damn. And just kick their ass. So whatever stroke struck fear into her, we got to assume that the power broker is a gnarly dude. Is that what you took from that? Yeah, because like you said, like she just took on two former Avengers, two randos, and was like, no big deal. But like now this dude mm-hmm. is like, we got to get out of here. Yeah. And so that is, I assume, is might be the big bad of this series, the power broker. Maybe Zemo's somehow involved in that. Um, next thing we get is so the they, Sam and Bucky, after their, that fight, they realize that there's other super soldiers out there. And Bucky takes Sam to Isaiah Bradley's. He's a former super soldier. He's a former black super soldier. We found out basically the story is by Isaiah Bradley is after Cap goes into the ice, they tried to um, do experiments to recreate Captain America with the super soldier serum. And they're testing it on young teenage black men in the, I believe is in in the 50s, 60s around the Korean wars when we're led to believe that in the MCU canon in the comics, I think it's a little earlier. But we're led to believe this, and he's one of, I think there's hundreds and hundreds they do this on, and he is one of three to survive, and the other two die on like the first or second mission they go on. So he's the only one who survives, and we find out that he fought Bucky and won, took off his vibranium arm, and then he is imprisoned for 30 years. And the reason that he is imprisoned for 30 years, they don't say this in the show, is because he got... For this battle, this final battle, he took Captain America's shield, like, quote-unquote, stole it from the government, to and was Captain America, and won, and then once the government didn't have use for them, they put him in jail for 30 freaking years, and um, he's experimented on, they take his blood, all this sort of stuff. Not only is the U.S. government doing this, but Hydra is as well. Heartbreaking, chilling, and certainly puts a whole new perspective on the history of the super soldier serum in the MCU and also gives some perspective maybe why Sam is reluctant to accept this shield. Um, What did you take from this, Peter? I think that, again, Marvel has a great way of 
sort of mirroring the current time, which I guess is what comics should do and do so yeah. well, is you mirror the culture and you put it through this lens of a comic book mm-hmm. and you are able to make it more digestible to people that are more apprehensive towards, you know, confronting things like this. And I thought that it was a really well done scene because like you said, it reframes the ideas of what we've had of the super soldier serum. Say that three times fast. Yes. Yeah, and and I think it's again, it shows more that this show is also similar to how WandaVision dealt with trauma and grief and going through those stages here we're again looking more culturally at what the world is because even though it's the mcu it's still got a lot of the foundation that our similar real life has yeah and so this that problem um so isaiah bradley wants nothing to do with them he shows off his super strength by throwing something into the wall his nephew who just uh just something everyone should know his nephew in the um comic books is patriot and is a part of the Young Avengers as like a young Captain America, so that's who that kid could potentially be. Um, and but we see Sam and Bucky there leave, and they start arguing. Like Sam's like, "How could you not have told me about this? Did Steve know?" And Bucky says that he didn't tell Steve. He didn't want to. He really wanted to just leave Isaiah Bradley alone. He'd been through enough. And so as they're arguing, the cops show up and they start harassing Sam until they realize he's an Avenger. And then they end up arresting Bucky because he missed his court-mandated therapy, which is a violation of his parole. We go to the, uh, what is it, the police station, the prison, wherever. And we find out that we see the therapist and they think that she got Bucky out. We find out it was actually John Walker who got him out and he gives some sort of smug look and smile and wave and says he wants to talk to them after. And Bucky and Sam go into a therapy session together to uh, finalize, I guess, Bucky's uh, therapy so he can be released. And they argue quite a bit and uh, there's a lot of back and forth some funny stuff. But I think that the big um, thing to take away from this is Bucky tells Sam that if Cap was wrong about Sam because he's if Cap was wrong to choose Sam to be Captain America because Sam refused it and now this guy has it if Cap was wrong about that then maybe Cap was wrong about me Bucky says that and that's chilling because you realize that the the self-doubt that Bucky has I mean this dude's the winter soldier he's a basically the terminator he's a killing machine and he still has that self-doubt um but Sam does respond with another good line. He said, he tells Bucky, like, maybe you and Steve don't get it. You don't get what I'm going through. And I mean, obviously, we just with Frank, with what we just saw with Isaiah Bradley, that's fresh in your mind. I thought um, there's good points made. It ends pretty badly. I mean, they storm off. Sam sarcastically thanks the therapist. But you see that this is really affecting Bucky. Um, what did you take from this whole uh, couples therapy, marriage counseling type deal? I really liked the dynamic of it. I liked how, again, we're really creating these two characters are a team. That line broke me, though, when he was like, because, again, it does speak to how he's doing this because of what Steve told him. And he believed in Steve. And Steve's words had an impact on him, which is why he's able to move forward and do the therapy and do the try to make amends mm. with the notebook. He's doing this because of what Steve said. So because he doesn't understand Sam's side of it, that's why he's now having doubts even further. If well, if Sam, if he's not right about you, he's not right about me. So I think, and I do think it, we are going to get more of Sam's side of it as it goes forward. And um, I like, I like where this is going. I like that again. Yeah. It's not a straight line to get there. Mm-hmm. And I like just the 
the depth of it, really, because you have this buddy cop com- comedy between these two. But then you also, at the sa- within the same episode, you have this real trauma that the two of these dudes are experiencing with losing their best friend. And for who both, Steve to both of them, Bucky a little more so than Sam, was their North Star, was their guiding. Like, like right now, like you mentioned, Bucky is doing this because of what Steve, Steve really taught made him believe in himself again i guess is how to say it so that was powerful um and now we're gonna go bucky and sam they go out and they see john walker and uh battle star and they he's talking about how they need to work together blah 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 blah. and bucky and sam tell walker like hey we do we don't want to work with you but they try to frame it as like yeah well we're more flexible we're not tied down to government restrictions and um they basically say f off dude bye and they're leaving and we get the first sign of John Walker's true side, potentially, of him. He basically tells them, then stay the hell out of my way. And it is said very aggressively. Very aggressively. And the thing, why again, why I think he has the super soldier serum, if he doesn't have the super soldier serum, like, let's say he doesn't have it, and he says that, well, what if Bucky was just like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to just beat the, the shit out of this guy. Theoretically, because Bucky could. Like, even if, John Walker gets the super soldier serum. Bucky technically is still like he's the freaking winter soldier. He is incredibly powerful. So the balls on um, just the stupidity of John Walker. The better word, the stupidity. Yeah, it's just he maybe he just doesn't know when to shut up. And because we see that time and time again with his interactions, like, what are you thinking? And I feel like we're going to get an episode similar, or at least a segment similar to the Agatha all along, where we're going to see how mm. John Locke came to be, because I feel like there's too many flags going up for us not to be like, we have to have some explanation. Yeah, don't give us a Hayward thing, Marvel, where you just don't explain anything. If this, if this, if John Walker is defeated by Darcy Lewis crashing into him with an ice cream truck, I will be irate. <laughs> I will be irate. <laughs> There better be no Ralph Boner in this show either while we're at it. Um, so now the couple last things to wrap up this episode. We see the Flag Smashers narrowly escape from the Power Broker. Um, this Power Broker has a lot of people, a lot of weapons. He is gnarly, and he is definitely coming to going to be a problem in this series. And then the big tease at the end, Peter. Bucky and Sam are talking about the Super Soldier Serum and all this sort of stuff. And they agree they need to go to Zemo. And we get the final shot where we see Zemo in his prison cell. Um, obviously, the uh, really just a fan favorite villain from uh, Ca- Captain America Civil War. Um, very big in the comic books as well. So I'm excited to see him in this show. Um, what are your thoughts on the whole reveal there at the end with uh, Zemo? And what are you looking forward to with him? I liked the reveal of Zemo. I mean, I felt like if you watch the trailer, you know he's coming. I feel yeah. like he's not going to be like anything is a straightforward villain. I think we're going to have him maybe help them a little bit, but then realize that something else best aligns with his vision. Yep. So I don't, I mean, I think he's going to be one of those people that we think is on our side and then turns out to be on the other side. Do you think they're going to have to break him out of prison to work with him? You know, that's going to be interesting, but I almost feel like in order to, I think that what we're going to see, which was mentioned at the end of the fight with the Flag Smashers prior to Isaiah, 
they Bucky mentions, you know, wanting to go st- reclaim the shield. And Sam points out the last time that happened, Sharon lost mm-hmm. her job. So I almost feel like and he had to him and Steve had to be on the run. So maybe they don't want to risk that. You're right. Yeah. So I almost feel like maybe sh- this is where Sharon comes in to help them see Zemo. Because that hasn't happened. We haven't. That was our first mentioning of Sharon, and we know she's a part of this world. So that's I'm curious point. to see if that's what plays in next. I would be surprised if she's not in the rest, like in the next episode. Like I think, because I mean, I assume she's going to be in like the last four. I think she's going to be that big of a role. I could be wrong, um, but I think episode three. So like episode three will be officially halfway through the series. I think we're gonna by the end of next time when we're doing this pod. I think we will have a really good idea of where this show is going and what we have left to do. Don't you think? I think that's an optimistic statement to make based <laughs> on everything that we, <laughs> we went through in WandaVision where we thought we knew where we were going. Well, we... didn't you hear that John Krasinski is going to show up? <laughs> you know, I did. So I did hear, though, that someone is supposed to show up in episode five. I don't know if it's three or five. So it's like I'm taking I, that with a grain of salt. I can't, but I can't even think time, about that. There's all these people too on YouTube who have these like thumbnails. It's like huge. And it's like, wait, Hugh Jackman's coming in episode five, and it's just them troll, like not even trolling with you. They just, ugh, I don't like those people. But it's a hard world with all those. And then like on Twitter and Reddit, you see all these like spoilers of this, of this, and then none of it is true. None of it is ever true. That's why, folks, you got to come to the Pineapple Couch for your MCU information with Peter and I. Um, Peter, do you have anything else on this week's episode before we wrap up? I think it further solidified the that this is show is closer to the vein of the cinematic Marvel mm-hmm. content we've had. I like that we're getting some solid action sequences. I like that we are further developing the characters. And again, this is proving these these shows work. Mm-hmm. Like this is a this was why it was a smart route for them to go the Disney Plus route and they're really proving it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just a the last thing to add on to that is I think that Compared to the Mandalorian and WandaVision, those seem like TV shows. Falcon Winter Soldier, it feels like like it's going to be just like a six-hour movie. It really feels that way watching it. Maybe that's because it's traditional MCU and that's where my head goes. I don't know. But um, I'm excited to keep breaking it down week after week with you, Peter. And um, I think next week, I think we could talk some Snyder Cut. I think we should probably get that ball rolling next week. Um, So if you're listening, you still have time. I mean, maybe. It's pretty long. So you might as well start now after you listen to this episode. Uh, go check out the Snyder Cut and then get ready to watch uh, some, wa- uh, not WandaVision, excuse me, uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier this weekend, episode three, and be back next week to listen on the Pineapple Couch. Peter, you're the man. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure to be here. All right. And we'll talk to you guys next time.